Our text this morning is Romans uh, 14, 5 through 9. It's continuing to go through the book of Romans. And, uh, you know, as I was, as, as we met yesterday, and after we talked about this passage, uh, I was thinking about, you know, bringing this and, and speaking about this Romans 14 passage. I thought about one of my favorite little shows I like to watch um, that, that um, kind of reminded me of this, of this passage. How many of you have ever seen that? Forged in Fire. Oh, I got out. Seen Forged in Fire? You ever watch that? Um, I love that show. You know, where they take, they take these, these blacksmiths and they come in and they, they have to make a sword or a knife or whatever. And, and then um, I'd say it, 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 it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, but I have to, to tell you, I'm not a blacksmith. Watching that show does not make me a blacksmith. You know, I mean, you know, I see these guys and they're taking that, 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 those big chunks of metal and they're, they're you know, hammering on it and, and heating up and, you know, and, 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 and quenching all that. And, and, and I've seen all that and I, and I can see, you know, what they're doing. But just because I, I, I can, I watch that show. And, and I may even understand some of the words. That still doesn't make me a blacksmith. I'm still an outsider kind of looking in on this. Um, <coughs> you know, the same is somewhat true for this passage. And really, this this whole section of Romans. You know, Paul isn't teaching to the lowest common element. He's not teaching. He's kind of going on. He's He's... You know, the, in school, we always have a tendency, we always have to kind of teach to the lowest common element. Paul's teaching the believers. He's teaching to a, a, a particular audience. And there's a tendency to, to look at this sort of like people look at forging fire and think, well, that's talking about, you know, about me. Well, no, it, and, and, and you'll understand more as we go through there. This, this is a, a great passage. And a challenging passage um, for us as we as we look at this. So Romans 14, 5 through 9. Romans 14. <laughs> Romans 14, 5. Uh, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. You know, last week Eli introduced this section, and he discussed the, the Christian liberty versus Christian conscience. And, and he explained this and, and, and taught on this, and he said this is this is kind of the theme over the rest of this chapter and, and big part of, of chapter 15, this, this question of, of Christian liberty and Christian conscience. And, and what does this look like for us? And and he said, as we said last week, while while eating meat offered to idol was the crux of that, that's really not the focus. That wasn't the thrust of, of that section last week. It's really about how do we live together as body? How, how do how do we how do we 
we how do we function together? What does it mean that we're joined in one body? As Paul's explaining what he talked about in, in, in Romans 12, that we're all part of this one body, he's, he's fleshing this out, and he's trying to make it absolutely practical to us. Practically, how do we apply that in body life? What does that look like for us? Um, and he's going to use actual practical examples to help us to better understand. And last week, as we talked about, the first one was eating meat offered to idols. And he's going to come back to that. But this is about church relationships. How are we living out this gospel? And the summation, like I said last week, was in verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant another? It is for his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. This 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 verse is, is one of those foundational verses, those verses that, that highlight and underline, he, the Lord, is the one who's going to make him stand. It's not your job to make him stand. It's not your job to make you stand. It is the Lord is able to make us stand. And the thing I pointed out last week as we read from Matthew 7, and that wonderful passage that we have from the Sermon on the Mount, and as Jesus is talking about what does this kingdom living look like? What is this what that we're practicing even now? What does that mean for us, this, this kingdom life that we're living out? You know, he, he said that we're so quick to quote that, that first part about, about judging one another. You know, in, in uh, Matthew 7, as he read, Judge not that you be, ju- that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured out to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? And so we take that verse, and, and that's where we stop at. We just stop there. Not, I, I'm just going to, you know, you, you got a speck, but I got a log, so I'm just leaving it on. That's not what he's saying here. That's not what, what, what Jesus was trying to get across. And that's, as, as I pointed out last week, that's not the point of this. He goes on and says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then he has this really interesting verse that we don't have time to, to chase his rabbits. But, man, you want to question that, that at the very next section of this, as he said um, in, in verse 6, this verse, uh, Matthew 7, 6, he said, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and you will clear, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Which I thought was kind of interesting. So after he talks about, about helping your brother out, he then has this really interesting warning. But, as I said, we don't have time for that. So, going on in verse 5, Romans 5. He's taking this, and he said, how are we going to make this practical? How are we going to learn how to apply this? How are we going to learn how to live this out in the body? And in verse 5 of Romans 14, we have two brothers or sisters in Christ with a different understanding or a different and a different viewpoint of the Sabbath. Here there are these two brothers or sisters in Christ 
are looking at the Sabbath and they have a different understanding of this. And generally, as we know, we find this, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to judge, isn't it? Here we have these two brothers or sisters and they're having this, this, this disagreement and one believes this and one believes that. And this is just a great opportunity for us to come in and make a judgment of who's right and who's wrong. And of course, we all know who the right one is. It's the one that agrees with me. And the wrong one is the one who doesn't agree with me. Right? I mean, it's, it's just, that's just obvious. You know, we, we know, you know, that goes without saying. The right one is the one that, that, that I like. So we, we hear these two brothers discussing this and like, well, I agree with this one. He's right. And, and, or, or, or we, and we ask this question given the context. We say, hmm, who, who the weaker brother is? The weaker brother is the one who disagrees with me, right? It's just, it's just facts, right? So, so we look at these and we ask these important questions. Or at the very least, we try to remove the speck from the eyes of one of the, from one of their eyes. You know, I, I've got my log out, so I'm going to come in. I'm going to help you with your speck. Um, Paul says, as he's explaining this, he wants us to consider a different approach. So here we have these two brothers that are fully convinced in their own minds. Now, both are fully convinced in their own minds about their positions. Now, it's important for us to know what does it mean that they're fully convinced in their own minds about this issue. It doesn't mean, it. What he, he's not saying... That, they're, that they've sit around and they've thought about it and they thought, you know, I really think it means this. I, I really think this is the right way. Or I really think it's this, because this is what I want. You know, I know people, and you do too, I'm sure, that have become fully convinced in their own minds that for them, the best way to worship God is to go fishing on Sunday mornings. They are fully convinced going up to the, the, the parkway and driving and seeing the beauty of God's creation is the best way for them to worship God. It's kind of, it, and, and it's so convenient that, that the best way for them to worship God is for them to do exactly what they wanted to do, isn't it? They want to go to these things. They, or they've become fully convinced that they're right, even though they have no contact. That the people that, that are fully convinced that they are that they are absolutely in the right and in their lifestyle, even though they have no contact with the, with God's word, no contact with God's people, but they're convinced everything's okay. Or people that are fully convinced in their own mind. That God understands why they are continuing to live in sin. That God understands that they can live in a sinful condition, but God understands it. And He agrees with it. Fully convinced in their own minds that they're right. Proverbs 22 13. It's a great verse. Proverbs 22 13 says, the sluggard says, or the lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed or I shall be eaten in the streets. you got to love that verse, right? 
Here's this lazy man who is fully convinced that the best thing for him to do is to stay home and not go to work because there's a lion outside. Now, what, what I mean, Scripture's saying he, he's, he's convinced himself it, it's right for me to stay home. I, I don't want to go to work, and I really shouldn't go to work because there's a lion outside. The ironic thing is, is there a kernel of truth in this? I mean, are there lions outside? Yeah. That's where lions stay. They're outside. So that's true. But the reality is, that's not the reason he doesn't want to go to work. It's what he wants, and he just found a good excuse for it. He's convinced himself. The governing emotion here is laziness. Not the lion. The lion is just a justification. He's lazy. He doesn't want to go to work. This section that we're reading here is not for the Christian minimalist. You know what I mean by Christian minimalist? That that person who calls himself Christian and saying, what is the least I can do and still call myself a Christian? I, I just want to know... What, 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 is, or what is the most I can get away with and still consider myself a follower of Jesus? I know there's a line out there somewhere, so how close can I get to that line and still feel good about calling myself a Christian? That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not, this is not for that person. In these brothers or sisters, the governing emotion here is zeal. They are zealous for the Lord. They want, to, they, they want to worship God. They want to live out this obedience to God. They're not, they're not sitting there trying to find a justification to stay home and not gather with believers or find a justification that allows them to live in sin. These brothers and sisters are, 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 are convinced in their own minds that this is the best way for me to worship God. This is the best way for me to honor and esteem God. You know, Paul's writing about a condition here that, as Corey pointed out yesterday, is somewhat unknown to the majority of the Christian world, particularly the Western Christian world. There, there's this, there's this zealous, there's this zealousness for God. There's this zealousness to honor and to worship and to esteem the Lord. That's a foreign concept to the majority of our of our churches and, and our members of a church. You know, for the majority of people, you want to go to church twice a week? Hey, dear Jesus, what's your problem? You want to you want to read your Bible every day? That's just going overboard. You're just becoming too heavenly minded. Paul's talking about a, a, a zeal. He's talking about someone who's read Romans twelve eleven and took it serious. When Paul's talking about this living out this this living worship, this living sacrifice. 
It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. He's talking about people that, that have read this and applied this to their lives. And said, so this is what I want. I want to be fervent in my love of the Lord. I want to be fervent in my desire to honor God. I want to be fervent in my worship. One brother, in his zeal to serve and honor the Lord, sees the Sabbath of the holy day, a day to be reverenced, esteemed. He sees the Sabbath as a day that you, you approach differently. You treat it differently. In his desire to honor God, he sees it, he, he sees it as an important day, the separate. He reads Exodus 28 to 11, and he takes that and he says, How can I apply this to my life? He reads the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, or your livestock, so the, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One brother reads this and says, Okay, I, I want to live that scripture out of my life. I'm going to apply that to honor and to glorify my God. He esteems that day to, to the glory of the Lord. He says, I want to live this zealously. I want to fervently follow this. The other brother reads his same scripture and of course agrees with his brother and doesn't deny it, that the Sabbath is holy. The scripture's true. He reads that and says, absolutely it's true. And he applies it in his life, and in his zeal to honor and worship the Lord, he sees all days as holy. And he sees all days as a gift from the Lord and should be esteemed. This brother believes, as the writer of Hebrews does, in, in chapter 4, verse 3, that all those who believe have entered the rest. In verse 9 through 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, meaning the Israelites. There is a Sabbath rest for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from all this work as God did from his. This brother says, okay, for me to live this out in an honor and zeal for the Lord, I'm going to esteem all days as holy because I have entered that Sabbath rest. They both have this zeal, this passion to read God's word and apply it to their life and to honor God. And if we could talk to the first brother, he, he would say, I agree with that scripture. I'm not denying this. He would say, he, he would not say that's, that's, that's false. He just sees it in his way as the best way for me to honor the Sabbath is to esteem this day as separate. Paul's saying, don't look at him and say he's wrong. And this brother over here who's saying, no, I want to honor all days. Paul says, don't look at him and say it's wrong. Both are trying to zealously, obediently live their lives to the Lord. They're reading the word of God and applying it to their lives. 
As Paul goes on in verse 6, he said, The one who observes today observes it in honor of the Lord, or to the Lord, literally what it means. He's living this day to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor, or to the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one abstains, abstains in honor to the Lord, and gives thanks to God. So here's an explanation, as well as a little bit of warning, that we need to get. He that he the one that's observing the day is doing it to God. He's doing this as an act of worship. Now, he is doing this to God. He he knows this is not adding anything to himself. He gets nothing from this. It is not making him more holy. It is not making him more righteous. It is not making him more a better person. It is all of this that I'm doing is to God's glory, period. It's to the Lord. It's nothing to him. It's not building him up. It's not helping him in any way. Listen to uh, Colossians 2.16. Read a lengthy passage as, as there's a, the warning of, of someone who, who has taken this this idea of esteeming a day or esteeming a, 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 a um, way of living and, and, and believes it adds something to them. Colossians 2.16, Paul writes, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or regard to a festival, a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadowed things to come, but the substance belongs to, the, belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head that is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If you, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why? As if you're still alive, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let me tell you something. This this attitude of, oh, I'm just not going to do this, has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So whether you eat or you abstain, you're doing it for to the Lord. Doing it as unto the Lord. Honoring the Lord. Doing it with an attitude of thankfulness from the Lord. You're living out 1 Corinthians 10, 29-31. And the context, the context is exactly the same. Paul is speaking of, there as he's speaking here, this attitude of eating meat offered to idols. In the same context, whether to eat or not eat. In verse, starting in verse 29, 
Paul writes, I do not mean your conscience, but his. Why should my liberty, this Christian liberty, be determined by someone else's conscience? If I, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of the God. So, and we need to understand, we're getting into what this means to be thankful. It's not just thanking God for this, but it may be thanking God for not doing this, for God removing that desire. This thankfulness. The key factor here is that both sides are doing their actions because of their zeal for the Lord and out of, out of an attitude of thankfulness. This is why they're doing it. And the reason why they're thanking God is because it's not about you. It's not about you. In verse 7, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. Now, hear this. Paul says that none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. But wait a minute. I thought we were to die to self. Anybody ever heard that? You're to die to self? Kind of scriptural, right? I thought. So Paul, wait a minute. You've gone too far here, Paul. I, I get it. I get it. None of us should live to himself. I agree. We all are to live to Christ. But I thought we were to die to ourselves. I mean, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, and he said to all of us, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Take this cross daily and follow me. The cross is the instrument of death. Who did I self? 1 Peter 2.24 He bore it. He himself bore our, sins, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. For, and, and even Paul's own words. 1 Corinthians 15.31 I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. So we are to die to ourselves, right? And the answer is yes. But here's, the, here's what Paul's trying to get across here. Jesus carried his cross to Golgotha, but who crucified him? Who crucified him? He offered himself, but it was God who crucified him. It was God who put him to death. And he used the Roman soldiers and he used Israel, but it was God who did it. Paul says in Romans 6, 2, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Or in Galatians 2, for, though, for through the law I have died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. So we understand that it is not me that kills my desires in my own strength. I can't just say, well, okay, I, I know that's wrong, so I'm just not going to do that. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to stop myself from doing it. I'm just not going to do that. I'm just not going to touch it. I'm not going to handle it. I'm not going to have it in my life. I'm just not going to do that. And therefore, I'm going to kill that desire. 
Paul says none of us killed himself. It is God who crucified, who crucifies us, crucifies that sin. It is, it is God and he does it in his time. In his time. And for his glory. You ever looked at someone and said, man, that, that person really needs to quit something. A sin, you, see, you see a sin in their life and you're looking, that person just really needs to quit. Whatever that is. And my question is, as if it's their choice to do this, instead of praying for God to do a work in their life to, to remove that, I mean, we're, we're so, we should be so dependent upon God that he'll even stop the sins in our life. Paul says he is the one who kills it. He is the one who puts that to death. And he does it in his time. He goes on, For the same reason we live, we also die. That the same thing that causes us to live causes us to die to sin, causes us to die to self, causes us to die to those things in our lives. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So how do we live out this zealous obedience? You know, how, how do we how do we live in such a way as to avoid this this that indecision? Do I eat or not eat? How do I keep the Sabbath? How do I know God's will for my life? So here we're talking about living for the Lord in such a way as, as to zealously, I, I have this desire to obey God. I have this desire to know Him. Now here, here's the reality. If you don't have that zeal, if you don't, if it doesn't matter to you, if you're comfortable in your walk, then the issue isn't here. The issue is way back in, in chapter 3, 4, 5. There's something, there's something that's not woken up inside of you. But at this point, you come to it and you say, I, I just want to know how do I walk after the Lord? How do I live to the Lord? How do I live this out? You know, Paul said in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of, are sons of God. And you're sitting there saying, I, I believe I'm a son of God. I, I want to be led by the Spirit. But how do I know? How do, how do I do this? One of my best friends, I'll never forget the frustration in his face, where we're sitting there talking about just, just walking in the Spirit. And him sitting there saying, but what do I do? Just tell me what to do. And that's what he wants. He wants somebody to come and say, just tell me what to do. And, and I didn't do a good job answering his question. But there's an old axiom in education. If you want better answers, ask better questions. If you want a better answer, ask a better question. You know, I'm, we're, so empty, we're so tempted to ask God, just, God, what is your will for my life? And of course, the answer is to glorify God. That is the correct answer, right? But then how does that help you choose what to do tomorrow? Instead, 
What if we ask, learn how to ask God more specific questions? What if, I want you to imagine this for a minute, what if everyone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ woke up this morning and said, God, would you rather have me go to church and gather with the believers or stay home and sleep and watch TV? What if, what if every single person who claimed to be a believer or follower of Christ asked that question to themselves? I wonder what the answer would be. <laughs> yeah, it is written. Do not forsake the gathering together as in the day of some, especially as the day approaching. You know, love your brothers. That's not a hard question, is it? You know, what do you want? God, do you want me to, to, to spend time in your word today? To read it? Or just have me ignore it and watch the Great British Bake Show, which is one of my favorite shows, or Forged and Fire? You know? I know a lot of questions. Those are two of my favorite shows, the Great British Bake Show and Forged and Fire. But anyway, I never really thought about the comparison of those two. Um, but, but... It's not a hard question, but it's amazing what the answer will be. God, I I want to zealously follow you. (laughs) I want to fervently live out for you. God, should I spend time in your word today? Or should I just ignore it and pretend like it's not important? You don't even need three answers for that, do you? This is talking about this living relationship with the Lord. God, would you rather have me trust you in this situation or continue to worry about it a little bit more? Which one do you want? Would you rather I call to encourage a brother and sister in the Lord or just live in my own bubble and be concerned only with myself? See, this is God's will. This is this is that walking in the Spirit that's living in the Lord. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Paul finished this section by going on. For to this end, so for this reason, so this would be how you live this out. For this reason, Christ died and lived again. You want to know why Christ was crucified and was resurrected? He said, for this end, that he, that is that brother, or I'm sorry, that he, that is God, might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Now, there's a temptation to think of this. He's talking about he'd be Lord of of the people out of the church and people in the church. In the context, that's not what he's saying. He's saying God is Lord of both the things he kills in your life. He's he's sovereign over those those sins and those temptations, those desires that he kills in you. And he's sovereign over those things he wakens in you. He brings to life in you, the desires in you. We are so dependent upon him for everything. You know, when when I see a sin in my life, the answer is not, I'm just going to try really, really hard 
to, to put this to death. I'm going to try really hard to stop doing that. No. The response is my sister in my life to go to the Lord and say, God, I need you to be sovereign over that. I need you to put that to death in me. I need you to work in my heart to kill that. I don't want to sin that way. I don't, I don't want to have that sin in my life. I want to worship you. I want to live to you. I, I don't want that. I need you to, 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 to do a work in me. To will and do every good thing, including put this to death every single time it comes up. Because you want to be, because to this end, you're going to be Lord over the living and the dead. Every part of my life, every single sin that's ever been stopped in your life and put to death in your life, God did it. Christ did it. You didn't do a single one of them. Not one. Every single blessing, every single benefit, every single thing that you've ever done good in your life, Christ did it. Because he's the Lord over all of it. Just because so so we look at this and I and, you know I know people that and you know you know as well as I do seeing it so often. People that have that have seen something and, and, and they see it as dishonoring to God, so, you know, and maybe I don't know watching movies. There are people that watch movies and say, "Man, that, that's wrong. You shouldn't watch movies. It, 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 it's not honoring, it's not glorifying God." Particularly R-rated movies. Man, you should never watch R-rated movies. And when they find out you've watched an R-rated movie, oh my goodness! We're going to have an exorcism around you right now. I'm trying to get rid of it for you. You know, because they're so proud of themselves. And it's your problem that you haven't stopped. Paul says, no, guys. It's the Lord who's able to make them stand. Do we really trust? Can Can you trust the power of God in other people's lives? Can you trust God to do work in their lives as well as he does in yours? This is this is what he's talking about. He is Lord of those things we die to, and he is Lord of those things we live to. He is Lord of all. We're to give him praise. And so we're to bring everything to him, every question, every issue. Lord, what are you having me to do? And, and, and literally lay it out. Think about it. Look at it. God, we have you to do this. We have to do that. And it's amazing when you ask good questions, the answers become really, really obvious.